This is Writer's Cast, a podcast about books and authors. I'm your host, David Wilk. Today, I'm talking to Annette Sanuk Clapsaddle about her new novel, As We Speak. It's fairly new, even as we breathe. And it's your first novel. Is that correct, Annette? That's right. It is. Although, as I read your biography, you have written another novel that is as yet unpublished. Is that also correct? Yes, that's right. And that one was really your first. <laughs> so, yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're Cherokee and you live in Western North Carolina. The book is set in Western North Carolina between Koala and Asheville for the most part. I guess this is, you know, this is where you were born and raised and grew up and where you live now, correct? Yes, that's right. I was um, born just outside of the Koala boundary, what is known as Cherokee, North Carolina. Um, so you'll see in my bio that it says Koala, North Carolina, but for all intents and purposes, um, it's really Cherokee. And um, lived there until I went away to college and graduate school. But after graduate school, I returned to Cherokee, and I've been here ever since. And I did read your bio, and it, it it sounds like you've been writing for a really long time since you were... Did you start writing when you were a little kid? I did. I, um, you know, I still have books from elementary school that we would put together, little stories we would put together. Um, so I don't, I don't remember a, a time that I wasn't writing. And it sort of feels like as you talk about... And, and you know, as I... We sort of talked about a little bit before we we uh, started recording. I, you know, we're going to talk about the book, but not talk about the book in a way that would make it uh, that would give anything away for readers. But so some things I'll ask you really are kind of indirect and about um, you know it, it, the story and kind of your the way that you write and how and what you're trying to get at. But I w will be careful not to talk about too much about the story. But do you feel like storytelling? Um, and it seems it sounds like that from what you say about yourself that storytelling is um, you know a part of your um, heritage and your beginnings essentially. Um, and but this the the main character of this book is a guy. Uh, he in the in the novel itself, he's fairly young, about nineteen years old, and kind of um, grad you know just out of high school in the summer before maybe going to college, not really knowing what he wants to do. Um, and I'm kind of curious about what it, what attracted you to this particular character, County, um, as a, a vehicle for telling this story. Sure. So I teach high school. I teach English and Cherokee Studies at Swain County High School in North Carolina. And I... Um, obviously I'm often around teenage boys who are trying to make a decision about what they want to do with the rest of their lives. And um, I've always just found it a, to be a really um, interesting point in a young man's life. You have some, uh, or have some students who know, you know, what they want to do and they kind of have figured out school, but you know, there's a, there's a good portion of my uh, teenage male students who um, are very smart um, in, in a lot of ways 
but they're still trying to figure out the direction they want to go in. And so I knew that I wanted a character who was still trying to find their way um, in life and was open enough um, to to really explore different options um, in a different community, which ends up being Asheville, and um, is somewhat naive to some things that he hasn't been exposed to, um, but also, um, you know, know, brings with him other um, intelligences, you know, street smarts and survival. Um, My character, County, um, has not had the easiest upbringing, so uh, he brings that with him. But I just, um, it was a voice really that came to me. At no point did it, did I feel like this should have been a female protagonist. Um, I love my female characters and I spend a lot of time um, thinking about them and how they interact. Um, But I wanted that kind of voice of discovery to come from a young man who's trying to figure out his way in the world. Well, and what's interesting about him is that he's a kind of, you know, he's a, a, a wounded person in a, both in a physical way um, he has a you know a foot problem that means that he cannot go. Uh, this takes place during World War II, so he can't be drafted into the army um, as mm-hmm. others of his generation are. And but he's also wounded uh, spiritually and psychologically, you know, by the fact that his father was killed in World War One. And there's this mystery about how his father died and who he was. That is a kind of thing that you know. Uh, I think any child who's had a parent that they never knew mythologizes the 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 father or mother that is missing mm-hmm. as he does. Um, but he, as you said, he has a t- you know a rough upbringing where he doesn't have his father. He is raised and his mother has died, and um, mm-hmm. he's raised by his grandmother, um, mm-hmm. who is uh, you know she's also a really strong female character. I thought really beautifully mm-hmm. portrayed as sort of, it's felt like that was somebody that you cared about a lot. Yes. Lisi, his uh, grandmother is one of, the, I see her so clearly in my head. She's very much like the characters, you know, I've known growing up um, in the Cherokee community. Uh, Cherokee's a matrilineal society and the women um, have such critical roles in raising children. Um, you know, and it's it's kind of an ex- extended family experience. So, um, Lishi is a composite of a lot of the grandmothers um, that I knew growing up, um, and and so yeah, she was very very important to me. Still, kind of is. I still think about <laughs> Lishi. Yeah, no, she's. I think she's. I I sort of well, I missed her when she wasn't there anymore. <laughs> Uh, and, but also, you know, then there's the other, uh, character, the, the young woman, Essie, who, mm-hmm. um, is also from the same community and goes, uh, they, she and, and, um, County are kind of thrown together, uh, going to work at this fancy, uh, hotel, you know, it's sort of kind of modeled on the Biltmore, I guess, um, mm-hmm. or someplace similar where in World War II, you have them. 
uh, it, it's a place where prisoners of war or really more like interned prisoners, you know, it sounds like it's the diplomats who were um, interned, not uh, army prisoners of war, but more like the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the at the time that the war began, the, uh, the um, Italian, German and and Japanese uh, diplomats mm-hmm. were interred. Um, I, I assume that must be based on a real life um, occurrence, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it absolutely is, um, and that's kind of what set the the story off. Was um, just there was a brief paragraph in an article about kind of a related topic. Um, and it mentioned that the Grove Park Inn, which is a resort that has always catered to the wealthy, um, you know, even today still does. Um, and there was a brief paragraph that said that they held access diplomats and foreign nationals as prisoners of war um, just one summer in 1942. Um, and there's just not a lot of information out there about it, which is somewhat understandable that um, a whole lot of records weren't kept about the daily life um, of, of these individuals and, and what took place there. But there are, there are other um, resorts in the Southeast um, that, and some other authors actually have written about similar situations um, where these um, interred um, or prisoner of war um, individuals were kept. So I just find it fascinating because there is so little information about it that it lends itself to to fiction right. um, in a lot of ways. Yep. Right. No, that's actually, it's good when there isn't so much because it allows you to imagine it and not have somebody, uh, you know, raise their hand and say, oh, that didn't really happen. Uh, <laughs> you know, it gives you yeah. a lot more freedom. And I think, uh, but it's it was great because it, it's a, as you were sort of were uh, mentioning earlier, that County is this, um, because he comes from uh, the backwoods, essentially, you know, the rural. And I, and I know that in, in the 1940s, Western North Carolina was very uh, undeveloped. Um, you know, and much, very rural, mm-hmm. um, not as developed as it is now, certainly. Mm-hmm. And um, so you could grow up there and really, as this was true, I think all over America up until World War II, the country was much more uh, regional and much more, uh, more people were isolated in more places mm-hmm. like Western North Carolina, which I think is post-World War II began to erode. You know, we became, uh, you know, the the roads were built and people traveled more mm-hmm. and we became more, uh, uh, less, you know, the, the local has been damaged, I think, in a lot of ways. But in 1940s, that, you know, Western North Carolina was a unique place. And of course, if you're a Cherokee, more so. Um, so mm-hmm. he, he, you know, he's an outsider in, in that, in that Grove, um, uh, um, hotel, he's a, you know, they, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you actually talk about, and I think pretty accurately, uh, the way that, um, indigenous people then called Indians Mm -hmm. were treated by, uh, white people or, you know, it just was, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of a matter of course at that point, you know, if you were Indian and you were in a white circumstance, your nickname would be chief. Um, right. Almost yeah. inevitably, um, which is, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, he he experiences that uh, directly um, and kind of 
takes it all in in without really um finding it as painful as he could. I thought that was really interesting. You know, he's he's a pretty strong guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, that that's something that I and also my editor and I talked a lot about um, how those confrontations would play out in 1942. You know, some of the comments are, I mean, they were hard to write. You know, <laughs> some of the comments from um, the like white workers at the Grove Park toward County. Um, but they, you know, but I'm also reminded that it was so common to be so um, blatant about such things. That, well, yeah, racism. Um, well, we'll call it what it is. It was pure out-and-out right. racism. Right. Which, you know, is not something that ended in 1942, <laughs> no, but <that's> true. <laughs> it was far more sure. publicly acceptable, um, you know, then. So, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about how would he react then as opposed to how, you know, I would react today if I heard something like that. Yeah. Well, and as as we know, it was just uh, right out there at that, you know, people mm-hmm. today are less... They're more sensitive. They may still feel they still, they may, there are a lot, I think it's easier for people to be racist and keep it to themselves today. Whereas then they were just out and out racist and Mm -hmm. there was no, and the social judgment was not against them for being racist. So, um, it was just Mm -hmm. sort of the day to day, um, experience if you were Indian or black, I think in, in that area Mm -hmm. at that time, um, but, you know, it's a pretty, um, I, I thought that, you know, I will uh, give you credit for a slow and uh, careful, de- carefully developed story, which is very surprising, where there things happen we're just not completely prepared for, we're not able to predict. I think that's really good in fiction, um, <laughs> to be able to not know what's coming and to feel that it's the sort of necessary outcome of a particular circumstance. I thought you wove together these uh, the various characters and the surprises that we learn about them um, mm-hmm. several of them, you know, quite surprising, not just mm-hmm. the people that are closest to County, but also people around him, you know, people who do, who are kind to him in ways that are surprising as well to sort of mm-hmm. counter the, you know, the weight of racism. You also have, right. uh, the character, um, who's, who turns, you know, who turns out to really save him. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really, I think the, the balance there was really good. It's like, he keeps wondering, like, why are you being so good to me? <laughs> and <laughs> he can't figure it out. And it's a fair point, you know, for someone who's experienced what, who, whose life experience is what it is. You're trying to figure out why, how could want someone you don't know um, be uh, able and willing to extend themselves in your behalf? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to, you know, I mean, life is messy and complicated and, and certainly people are as well. So um, I wanted to portray, uh, you know, goodness in individuals across the spectrum and and ill intentions in, in uh, individuals across the spectrum. Yeah, well, you did. I mean, I and the the other uh, character that I think we should talk about is Essie Stamper, who is you know she's a very, she's complex as well. You know that 
Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't the the relationship between County and Essie doesn't work out the way uh, either of them think that it might. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, yeah. But it does turn out to be a, a, a an important relationship for both of them. Right. Yeah. So uh, Essie is probably the most controversial character in the book in terms of when I get feedback from people who have read it, they have strong opinions um, about Essie, which um, kind of tickles me because I want, you know, I want, um, I wanted her to be complicated and, and people to feel differently about her. I don't think everybody should feel the same about Essie. Um, Because what's interesting to me is that, um, that readers have easily accepted that County is a young man trying to make his way and, and, and maybe makes mistakes and that's fine. And, um, that he's still a kid and as he's really the same age, basically, even a little younger. And, um, and she's not afforded as much leniency <laughs> as uh, County is from readers. So that's been interesting, um, yeah. to watch. Well, but yeah. I think part of that is, I mean, there is a, th- I, you know, I, I have daughters and a son and I, and I think it's noticeable that, uh, girls, um, emotionally are more mature at a younger age than boys mm-hmm. are. Um, and mm-hmm. we expect therefore uh, more from them. Um, uh, you know, if right. a 20, a 19 year old Essie, you, you kind of, and she does come across mm-hmm. as being a little more sure of herself and certain, you know, she has a better, uh, a more completely formed self-identity than County does. Um, so you're, you're, that does lead you to be more judgmental of her, even though you shouldn't be. Right. Yes. Yes. She does come across as being more self-assured. Um, and, you know, and I think that, I think County goes to the Grove Park feeling, um, utterly unprepared. And I think Essie goes to the Grove Park, at least. She, she's going to fake it till she makes it. That's kind of what I think about right. <laughs> Essie that, you know, she's at least not going to let anybody see that, that she is nervous about that experience. Right. And she actually is. And I think you did show her, I thought that was a, a you know, really good that she's, uh, she comes across as more self-assured than she really is. Um, but mm-hmm. she's also really desperate you know, on a certain level, uh, desperate to make her way in the world, mm-hmm. but she doesn't know what that means because she has, right. she has not enough experience to know what that means. And of course that's part of the tragedy of life for all of us that when we're young, we actually don't know as much as we think we do. And even when we think we know, uh, or we do know, it turns out that because we're young, we don't really fully understand <laughs> what right. what we're doing, and you know it's sort of trite and 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 kind of, but it's a, the triteness of it is because it's true that you know so much more as you get older. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't help your young self at all, um, <laughs> and I think that that's sort of partly what you're what you show in the, uh, and I, and I should say, you know, you, you place the story at the beginning with the prologue. I think it mm-hmm. sets us up to know that it's a story being told by County 
much later mm -hmm. in his life. So he's looking back on this period. But there's, you, I, I thought it was good. You didn't kind of give the emotional, um, there's no emotional content at the beginning that, sh that colors the way we read the story. Um, and I mm. thought that was good. You know, I didn't feel like, you know, with sometimes with movies or and books where there's a flashback mm. from the beginning, you know, too mm -hmm. much about the present. Um, and that, right, and yeah. they're, they're giving you too much, um, awareness of how the story that they're telling drives the present. And you didn't do that. You, your story is in the past. It is complete mm -hmm. of its own and doesn't require knowing anything about County in the present in order to appreciate the story. And I like that. I thought that was really good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's it's nice to hear that um, put into words. That, <laughs> thank you for that. Oh, sure. Well, one thing I had to ask you about, I thought it was, there is a, a, a small character in the book, although he is important to County, a, a kid named Jones, who um, mm -hmm. runs, the, who's working in the local uh, kind of general store in the community. Mm -hmm. um, and I, there are a couple of questions I wanted to ask. One is, I, I wasn't sure, but is Jones also Cherokee? Um, so no, Jones is not, um, but his, uh, well, you know what, you know, it was never really, um, I don't, I'm trying to remember if I, if I definitively even said that. There's um, one, well, there's one, I, one place where you kind of do, but then the rest mm -hmm. of it kind of leaves it open where it's, I mean, it's not really, yeah. a, it does, it's not necessary to know, but I was just curious, you know, just a sort of curious right. thing because of the ambiguity yeah. that I felt. You know, I think uh, yeah, I created Jones as a, um, a counterpart to County who, you know, Jones knows how he's getting to college and um, all of those things. But I think, you know, if I'm remembering the process correctly, I think I may have even gone back and forth as to whether he was, but I definitely wanted him to be, um, you know, like to be a, almost a mirror image of County, but um, have different possibilities open to him. And in that time period, in that place, race would have mattered. Um, but he could have very well have been Cherokee, um, especially with a store in Cherokee, but he, you know, his dad who had the store could have also been a white store owner uh, running the, that business. So, um, yeah, I think I, I left that, um, ambiguous, um, but did want him to be, you know, a reflection of County, um, with different opportunities. Well, and what struck me, I love this, was that he uh, is going off to Black Mountain College, which, of course, <laughs> yeah. is a great, famous place that, um, mm -hmm. you know, even, you know, it began in the 30s and was pretty active during the war and into the 50s as, um, you know, a really um, remarkable American experiment in education, uh, but mm -hmm. also led to some of the great writers, artists, dancers, potters, musicians, you know, the, of the 20th century. Yeah. Um, great that, and, yeah. and there, you know, in, in Western North Carolina, in a little Valley, um, a really remarkable place. I've been to the Black Mountain Museum in Asheville mm -hmm. several times mm -hmm. 
And uh, I just, and, and I knew some people who went to Black Mountain College. So, um, did you? Yeah, it's a pretty amazing place. Yeah, I, I found that, um, it, you know, some of the little details of the novel like that were, were really fun for me just to think about um, this artist community, you know, embedded um, so close to, you know, what's going on at the Crow Park and then also what's happening in Cherokee. Um, it's just, it, it, I think it speaks to the complexity of place. You know, we, we think about Western North Carolina um, as more diverse now in 2020, but the, the truth of it is we've always been a complex uh, region. And um, I just, you know, I have this visual map almost of my head, uh, in my head of um, the Grove Park and the Biltmore House in Asheville. And then just down the road, you've got this artistic experiment at Black Mountain College. And then you have a, a sovereign nation, you know, one of the oldest cultures on this land just down the road. It's just, you know, I think it's fascinating. Oh, it's an amazing area. Um, and, I, you know, it's funny. It makes you're making me think about several books that I've read that have touched on Western North Carolina. Um, one I've just finished reading, which I will be, that's an interview I'll be posting soon, which is about um, the hundred years of, um, oh, we'll say um, the, the white removals of um, indigenous people from the East um, mm -hmm. including the struggle, you know, in, uh, 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 Georgia and North Carolina, uh, mm -hmm. to, you know, against the Cherokee trying to, uh, remove Cherokees from their land. Um, mm -hmm. basically, um, pretty terrible history, but then also you have, um, the great stories of William Bartram, um, mm -hmm. the naturalist and the, um, and then the great story about the white clay, um, I don't know. Oh yeah. There's just, you know, which went back to England <laughs> for, yeah. you know, it's, it's an amazing place. It really is. Yeah. It really, Wedgwood China, right? Wedgwood yeah, China. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's another, it was another book I read, which was about, um, um, a, oh God, I can't remember the name of the book now, but it, it was, it's something like red clay, white, uh, red clay, white clay and something else. Uh, which is a memoir about, uh, it, but his, his, one of his, um, his uh, aunt, great aunt, I think, uh, was taught at Black Mountain. So anyway, it's a long, complicated story. But anyway, he talked about the, the uh, Wedgwood China, the story of, um, you know, explorers coming there looking for it this, and then stealing it basically <laughs> to send back yeah. to Wedgwood. Um, and a Cherokee try basically trying to hide it from anybody right. outside, yeah. so no one would be able to steal it. Um, anyway, we've gone off on a long tangent, but it is, <laughs> it is. I think you're really lucky to live there. It is one of the most beautiful places in the world. I think it really is. Yes, it is. Well, I really, I, I want to thank you. Well, oh, I want to ask you another, one more question before we go. And that is, okay. what are you working on right now? Uh, um, well, I'm working on another novel. Um, it's what I know about it, which everything is subject to change, but um, it is 
set contemporary period in Cherokee uh, with a female protagonist. Um, and what I'm hoping to do is uh, take some of our traditional Cherokee stories, a lot of our origin stories, and um, mine the the values and themes that are embedded in those and um, place them in a contemporary uh, setting and um, and events. Um, so, so that there's a modern context for those um, traditional values embedded in our in our stories. So, uh, for just for example, um, my protagonist will be very much like our Shailu figure, who is our original corn mother figure, um, and the traditional story uh, is that she was responsible for. Uh, basically for our agriculture, and because of her methods, her son and this other boy they call Wild Boy, um, it's kind of an adopted son, uh, end up murdering her, thinking that she's a witch. Um, so it's not going to be a literal translation of that story, um, but I'm really trying to uh, reconceptualize what those values would mean uh, in a more modern story if that may not make any sense right now it makes a lot of sense i think it's actually sounds fantastic so and and i guess the other thing i would have to ask you about is i noticed on your website you talk about your other passion besides writing which is riding mountain bikes (laughs) i thought that that's pretty interesting um in terms of two you know two different it makes you a fairly complex person you know inner inner oriented (laughs) and outer oriented um so do you ride a lot um yes i in fact right before our call i was trying to put together a new bike rack and i was not a happy person um but i i do ride a lot we have a fire mountain trail system here in Cherokee that is world-class and it's beautiful and I actually do a, ri- a lot of my writing in my head while I ride bikes. <laughs> it's been a good process for me. So yeah. I like the, I like the riding, writing, uh, confusion <laughs> that you have, you know, as you, you know, when you say the words, it's easily confusing. <laughs> so you can say, oh, I'm going out to ride now and they'll think, oh, you're going to go out in the woods and, and write. That's good. Yes. Yeah, I've confused a lot of people, actually, with with it. That's great. Well, I'd be really interested to read your next next work. I thought this one was really good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Annette, for talking to me today. This has been Writer's Cast. I've been talking to Annette Sanuk-Clapsaddle about Even As We Breathe, her first novel. Thank you so much.